Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. Good morning, church. It is my honor and privilege to direct our attention to the Word of God this morning. We're continuing uh, through our series in the book of Proverbs, the book of Wisdom, and today we're looking at a particularly hmm, complex issue of wealth and riches and finding a godly perspective on that. Uh, I'm going to be reading a selection of Proverbs and then finishing in Luke chapter 16. Uh, Please follow along. We're beginning in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. And now Luke chapter 16, verse 13. The words of Jesus, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, I've already been so blessed by the worship and just by even gathering with the small group that is running the service and... uh, God is good. And if you're new, my name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're in the middle of a series in Proverbs, and today we're going to be talking about wealth. But I have to say, as I've been preparing this sermon, God has already been speaking to me. So this is a sermon for not only you, but join me in what God wants to say this morning. I remember driving in Vancouver a couple years ago with another central staff who was graduating, back when you could carpool. And we had this conversation that started with a question, what would you do with a million dollars? No, actually, what would you do with $10 million? Because a million dollars isn't that much anymore. And right away, it's like, well, do you want the Christian answer or do you want the answer of what I would really want to do, right? You know, our our imagination starts to kick in and we start to dream about the house on the beach, you know, the vacations, you know, we want to see the world. You know, we'd want to get that, that new gadget. And the answer really surprised me. That the staff member gave. And he's like, well, actually, I, I wouldn't trust myself with that amount of money. I think I would give it all away to charity. Well, I, I would at least start with, you know, 10%. And then maybe I would steward the rest. 
What would you do if someone gave you $10 million? Well, realistically, most of us won't have to deal with that conundrum, right? But what will you do with the amount of money that God has given you? What will you do with the resources, the possessions that God has blessed you with? What would be wise or unwise? But what does the Bible really say about money and wealth? Does it matter how many times you click on Amazon? And does, does it really matter, you know, about your car payments? Or how many subscriptions that you have to Disney Plus or Amazon Prime or Netflix? Does God even care? Well, how much is too much? And how much is not enough? And at what point does it actually cause problems for us? As a Christian. Well, today I want to talk about the wisdom and how we handle money and our belongings. I want you to see that there is a connection, a spiritual connection between us and how we use the resources that God has given us. It says everything about us. And I want you to soak in this question, I want you to marinate. What does it mean to be faithful with what God has given you and I? And today I will be borrowing from Tim Keller and we're going to be talking about three things. We're going to be talking about the gift of wealth, the dangers of wealth, and the true blessing of wealth. Well, first, let's talk about what it means to be faithful with the gift of wealth. Look with me at Proverbs 10:22. It says this. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. I want you to to focus on the blessing of the Lord. What does it mean to be blessed by the Lord? Well, there's this connection between God's giving us blessing and being Rich. It's the Lord that makes us rich. The Hebrew word makes means to gain or to receive. So the blessing of God means that we are gaining or receiving from God. And if we go back into the beginning of creation, God's original design for all of us, for humanity, was for us to experience that blessing that prosperity, that peace, that fulfillment that God gave Adam and Eve. And then sin entered in and destroyed everything that God wanted to do for them. But it means, again, to receive God's blessing is to restore his favor, even in the middle of the brokenness and the sin that we still experience today. But I want you to know that God's blessing goes well beyond material things. We may be blessed with friendship. We may be blessed with health, creativity, you know, talents, skills, or even ridiculously good looks, right? Yeah, we all wish, right? 
But above all, Proverbs references the ultimate blessing from God is a relationship and a connection with him. That is true wealth. But today, I want you to notice that all good gifts come from God. So the second half of Proverbs says this. That the blessing of the Lord makes us rich, but he adds no sorrow with it. What does he mean? He adds no sorrow. Well, he's talking about the sorrow and pain of hard work. You know, he's talking straight to the workaholic. The person that overloads themselves just so that they can have more. And God is actually condemning the self-wounding labor for just the sake of gain. Why? Well, the wise person works hard, but he doesn't add sorrow to themselves. But they simply work hard and let the blessing of God determine their wealth. Well, what's happening here? Well, most of us like to take credit for our wealth, right? We like to say things like, well, I I worked really hard for that. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, what I did. It's it's what I accomplished, right? But the rest of the Bible says, actually, no. It's also a matter of circumstance, It's a matter of your skills and opportunities and maybe even a matter of privilege for many. The more education, talent, or even inheritance could be why you are wealthy. But ultimately, it's because God blessed you with gifts. And everything that you have been given is a gift from God. This is what James is saying. He's saying this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. This is why Psalm says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. This is why Psalm says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. It is all from the hand of God. To be blessed by God means that we are on the receiving end of his good gifts. And this starts right in the beginning. This is what Genesis says. Then God said, let us make man and women in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over all creation. What does dominion actually mean? Well, some say it means to rule. But it doesn't mean that we rule in such a way that we abuse God's creation. In fact, it means the exact opposite. Dominion means God has given us responsibility to manage all that he has given. That we are to manage in such a way that is consistent with the character of God. That everything that God has given us isn't just for our enjoyment. Yes, it is. I will get to that. 
but it is not something that we should just take lightly and just abuse. It means that God does not give up ownership of something when he gives it to us. That everything that you have been given is a gift from God. And that we have a divine responsibility to use it well. That we have a divine responsibility to use it well. In other words, we're more like financial advisors where we are managing God's resources rather than just winning a lottery where we can just do whatever we want. In grade nine, I used to deliver newspapers. And I also found out Barton did exactly the same job. We would get up at 5 a.m. and deliver the Calgary Herald. And part of that job would be managing the collection part. So you would have to go door to door and collect the money and mark it down. And you would accumulate the bills and I would stick them in an envelope. And over time, you know, the envelope would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I remember my parents saying, you know, good job, son. You've got a lot of money there, but you should probably put it in the bank. And so I started to, you know, calculate how much money that I've accumulated over the years. And I had about $2,000 at one point. And I was in grade nine. And so I said, Mom, okay, I would like to, you know, open up a bank account and, you know, place this in a secure spot. She's like, hey, but just one thing. I think it's time that you learn how to tithe. What? Well, that means that you are going to give a portion back to God. Really? Yeah, you know, 10% is kind of the, the amount that most people would give, and you can debate that. So $200? But, but I, 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 I earned that. I worked hard, Mom. Yeah, I have all these things that I want to buy with that money. No, son, you need to learn to tithe. Sir, I remember going to church with $200 in an envelope. And I was holding it so tightly. Everything within me didn't want to give it up. And when the offering plate came by... I had to peel my fingers off and drop it in. But in that moment, I learned that God was the owner of everything I worked for. But I also learned how to be responsible, and it was one of the best lessons my parents ever taught me. Tim Keller says this, If you deny the money manager role God has given you and you think of yourself as just an owner of everything you have, if you basically use it for yourself except for some very small amount you give to charity, do you know what you're doing? You're unraveling God's creation. You're plundering it. You're pillaging it. You're leading to the disintegration of it, and you're defrauding your investor. That's a great cosmic evil. 
Isn't that something, he says? That's not just stinginess. And this morning, some of us need to be reminded that we are managers of God's money. This is why we need to learn to budget, to invest, to spend wisely, to get it under control so that we can be faithful with what God has given us. But our culture says this, you know, take care of yourself first. And then whatever is left over, then maybe give it away. But here's the problem. Many of us are saying we have nothing to give because we have spent so much on cars and clothes and coffee and entertainment and new phones and computers and so on. We have nothing to give because we're never done spending. Right? Yes, we run out of money, but it's not because we didn't have enough. It's because we have not learned what it has meant to be a manager of God's resources. This is why we need to recognize that these are all good gifts from God and that we need to be faithful with what God has given us. The next thing I want to look at is the dangers of wealth. And in this, I'm going to do a bit of a drive-by through a few Proverbs and then a deep dive on the last one. Well, the book of Proverbs talks about the dangers of wealth in many, many different ways. The first is money can make us dishonest. It says this, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. What is he talking about? He's saying that money has the power to corrupt your integrity. That in the ancient times, they would actually weigh out their metals and then get payment for them. So on one side of the scale, you would put your silver, your gold, and then on the other side, you would put your your weights. And then you would try to find a balance, and then you would get payment. But those who were dishonest would tamper with the scale or the weights so that they would get more. This passage is talking about manipulating the system or the terms so that you can put more money in your pocket. So in modern days, it's like cheating on your taxes or taking company property home. Or doing something dishonest for personal gain. And it's astonishing how many good people, Christian people, make compromises just so that they can have more. The next proverb. Wealth can make us proud. It says, a rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. You know, the idiom in his own eyes means in his own opinion. The rich person thinks that they are wise simply because they are rich, right? Rather than, again, acknowledging all the factors outside of their control that made them rich. Many times we attribute, you know, our own cleverness to why we are rich. 
Or we think we are better just because we have more. You know, the bigger house, the nicer car, the faster computer, whatever it is, we think highly of ourselves because of our possessions. But to be honest, for what I've seen, the richer you are, the more problems that you have. Some of the richest people that I've had relationship with, many of their relationships are a disaster as a direct connection to their wealth. Well, I don't need you. I have my money, right? Divorce rates are high. Parents and their kids have strained relationships over what? Money, money, more. That's mine. Wealth can make us proud. The next. Wealth can also become your identity. It says a rich man's wealth is his strong city. In many ways, a rich man or woman's wealth is their strong city. It's a metaphor for security. Because in ancient times... They lived in these fortified cities that when you were rich, you, you would go in them and you would feel secure. The, the high city dwelling meant this high status. And if you lived in them, you were supposedly better than everyone else. Well, this is how wealth can become our identity when wealth becomes your identity, you feel that you, again, are better than other people. And this is spiritually fatal. Why? Because we either have this idea that we are prosperous and successful, or we are nothing. And the amount of money that you have made determines your value and worth as a person. But here's the question. How much is really enough before you're valuable? What's that dollar figure? What's the size of house? What's the type of clothing? What exactly is it that you possess that makes you more valuable than another human being? This is how wealth has its power over us. When we believe the lie that we are better just because we so-called have more. The next proverb says the same thing. It says a rich man's wealth is his strong city. Notice it's not talking about in the, living in the city. It says it is his strong city. And like a high wall in his imagination. And in, in, in the metaphor, it's talking about thinking that we have the security just because we have more. And we imagine all the ways that our wealth will make life better or even save us. Proverbs is saying that everything you are it's because of, again, all the wealth that you possess. But what the Bible is saying and what this verse is saying is that it's all a mirage. 
That it's more like a house of cards. And at the end of your life, it's all going to come collapsing down. And it is not making you more secure at all. And all our daydreams and fantasies about accumulating more and more and more start to reveal that it's all just a mirage. As Keller says, it starts to reveal the idols that we've been living for. And that what your heart loves most and adored and what your heart has rested in, all is gone. That it wasn't secure after all. That it was all in our imagination. And this is why some people put all their money into their savings account because they think they feel safe. And this is why they don't invest or participate in what God is doing because their savings account is their idol. And others put it into clothing and things so that they can appear more attractive and sophisticated so that they can get the approval of others. And that is their idol. And others put it into homes and memberships so that they can feel better and more secure. But then Jesus says this, where your heart is, sorry, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So for some people, money serves as an approval idol. For some, it serves as a security idol. For some, as a control idol. But the point is, Money can have this power over us. And where your money is, is where your heart is. Where your money is, if it's in a temple, it's not in God's temple. And this is why money has the power over you that it does. And here's the thing. Money can't possibly give you what you think it does. The idols that you're using money to get never give you security. Yet we live like money makes us secure, don't we? Professor named Dr. Leach said this to his students. He says, let me just remind you of something. We're all on a little ball of rock called earth. And we're spinning along through space at zillions of miles an hour. Even if we don't run into anything, eventually we're all going to die. That means under every single one of us, a trap door is going to open and we're all going to fall off the ball of rock. Underneath will either be the everlasting arms of God or absolutely nothing. In other words... Your big savings accounts can't stop cancer. It can't stop the car that struck someone and killed them. It doesn't stop broken hearts. It can't give you all the things that you truly want that God can give. He's the only one that can give you the security that you're looking for. He's the only one that is significant. And he's the only one 
that can truly love you the way that you are. Another pastor said this is how many people when they come for counseling actually confess greed saying actually not many in fact I can't remember any at all you know they they confess you know addictions they confess adultery they confess almost everything else but never greed but yet the Bible talks more about money than anything else And Jesus says, watch out for all kinds of greed. Why? Because it just goes under the radar. We don't even realize that it's there, especially in our Western culture. So when you're committing adultery, you know that you're doing it. You know that's not your spouse, but yet you proceed. But Jesus is saying, watch out. You might actually be greedy. Watch out. Look out for the power of money. What are you building? This is why the Bible talks more about money than anything else. Because we almost never know that we're committing greed and materialism. And yet, we're all doing it. The next thing, the true blessing of wealth. The true blessing of wealth and the truth about money. This proverb says this. The wicked earns deceptive wages. But one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. One who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Well, what does it mean to sow righteousness? It means to invest in right living. It means that we need to live like Jesus and the spirit of God needs to transform us so that we can be righteous. And when we seek righteousness, it's a sign that you're living for God. And the only solution to breaking the power of money over you is to see yourself rich in Christ. And when we truly realize that we are rich in God and that his plan is better for us and that his good gifts that we can manage, then we become rich in Christ. Why? Because wealth on earth brings us some short-lived status and some short-lived security. In other words, without a relationship with God, your income is creating a false security. And somehow we continually slip into believing that if we have, you know, a, a better life, if we just work harder and just gain more, We somehow think that money will bring a life of peace, comfort, and satisfaction. But only Christ can give us that. And when we understand that it's Christ that makes us rich because he was generous to us, we become generous to others. When we can experience the true blessing of sharing our wealth, we can experience Christ in our own life. 
So the true blessing of sharing wealth, this proverb says this, the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. The generous will themselves be blessed. Well, how are they being blessed? Well, first, generosity breaks the power of money over you and I. Right? When you start to give it away and you realize it's not yours, you start to see God working in your own heart and you start to see joy being lived out. But also, the blessing is surely the increase of the true wealth of love. That you are using your resources to love others, to bring the love of Christ where it's desperately needed. That this far-reaching generosity is an act of love towards God and others. That we are using God's resources as a vehicle to love other people well. It moves us from seeing money as just this currency of status and power, but rather as a currency to proclaim the gospel. As a currency to love others in need. As a currency to build up the kingdom of God. Rather than our own kingdom. When we love God with our money, we treat it as his, not ours. When we love people with our money... We bring healing and repair with it. We, we point people to Jesus. So what does it truly mean to be blessed? It means that we become more like God. And we do that with radical generosity. Where we start to let go of what God has given us so that we can be Christ. And the more we give away, the more like our God we become. How do we actually do this? It sounds great, Steve. Good. Yep. We do this by going to the cross. When you see Jesus dying on the cross, because he saw you as valuable as his wealth, He becomes our wealth. When you go to the cross and you see that you are the prize that he died for, he becomes our prize. And then we start to suddenly see what money really is. That is just a resource of this world. It's temporary. It's not secure, but he is secure. And this is how we find freedom by going to the cross. Freedom from the power of money and wanting more is knowing that you have it all in Christ. We need to spend less time tapping our credit cards and more time with Jesus. We need to spend less time clicking to get more 
and more time giving it away. This is why Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Church, do you you hear what Jesus is saying? He's making a critical statement that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot have both. You're going to be devoted to one and not the other. And when the gospel gets a hold of us, and we start to use our gifts to better our community with the gospel, there's this release that happens. This joy that happens. Larry Burkett says this, When we surrender every area of our lives, including our finances, to God, then we are free to trust him to meet our needs. But if we would rather hold on tightly to those things that we possess, then we find ourselves in bondage to those very things. So let me ask you this. Is it actually wrong then to use those good gifts for ourselves? You know, is, it, is it wrong to go out, buy a coffee when there's kids who are starving? Is it wrong to eat out? No, on one hand, we need to hear that it is exactly a good thing to enjoy God's gifts. And some of us need to hear that. That's part of God's creation, to enjoy him and to enjoy relationship. But on the other hand, some of us need to hear, you spent way too much enjoying God's gifts and you need to be generous today. I think that's the message for our culture. Is that some of us need to learn how to manage their resources so that we can experience God in new and bigger ways. It's central. You've done a great job of that. But let's do better. Randall Roberts says this. We must invest more in eternity than we do in tomorrow. How? By investing more in people than things. By investing more in the soul than in the body. Christ clearly states that there are some things that last and some things that don't. And the gospel is calling us to deal with that inner person that wants more. That wants to build their own kingdom. That we we turn away from our own kingdom and we start to adopt God's kingdom and his values. At this time, I'm going to call up the worship team. But as we do that, we experience the deep love of Jesus and we turn from our sin. And it's out of a changed heart that we can be generous. It's not something that we just try harder at. God needs to transform us from the inside out. 
And the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross, moves us from being a self-centered person to a generous, invested person. The gospel, again, moves us from being a self-centered person to a generous, a radically generous, invested person. And when we know and understand this love, we want to become good stewards so that we can pass on Christ's love. Which brings me to the question, how do you serve God with everything that you have? How do you be faithful? To make it really practical, I came up with some ideas. So that we can participate by using our God-given time. How can you use your time to be generous? How can you use your gifts and talents? How can we use our money? We can do that by tithing. We can do that by giving to compassion, by many other amazing ministries out there. But we can also use our homes and our possessions We can use all the relationships that God has given us and really invest the gospel and be hospitable so that people can see that you have been changed by the gospel. But church, we can get creative. There's maybe some new things that God has put in your heart that you want to try. Hey, I, I can be radically generous in my community by doing A, B, or C. And ultimately, spend some time praying. What is God calling you to do? How can you be generous? And ultimately, giving our entire lives. So I'm going to leave you with two questions at the end of the sermon. Before we do that, this verse just really hit me over the head. In Acts 4, 34, in the early church is a beautiful example of this. They started selling their possessions, their homes, and all the things that they didn't need so that they could invest in their community and in the local church. But when they did that, notice verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. That's a high bar. There was not a needy person among them. Man, I want to be part of a church like that. And I know it's utopian. It's almost impossible, but it's a bar that we can aim for. Central, you've been so generous. And I see so many amazing things. But what if we unselfishly, collectively used our resources to reach our community. What would God do? What would happen? And I mean, we don't have to give every dollar away, but what if we were radically generous with what God has given us? So in closing, if you just spend some time in prayer, what is God saying to you today? Here's some two questions. How can you be faithful with what God has given you? What's one thing that you could do? 
And the big question is, what are you chasing in this life? Is it God or money? I'm just going to give you about a minute just to talk to God, to pray, and ask him to speak to you. And then I will close in prayer, and then we'll sing together. God, speak to us. Show us where we're holding on too tightly and where we need to give back in a way that would represent you well, that would show the love of Christ. Help us to be radically generous. Give us a bigger vision for what you want to do in our lives and in our church. And God, I do recognize it starts by surrendering our idols. So this morning, I pray that that would happen, that we would surrender things, that we would give them up for your sake because they have too tight of a hold on our own hearts. And as you said, we cannot serve God and money. I just pray that those walls would break down, that we would see money for what it really is, that false security I pray that we would come to the cross every day and recognize what you demonstrated for us, that great love. May we demonstrate that to others, God, with what you have given us. Thank you for the good news. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.